Hello, this is Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney and I'm joined this week by Jack Pitbrook. Hi, David. And back with us again is Sam Lee. Hello. And uh, while the football is on hold, there's still plenty of stuff going on with The Athletic. We're carrying on making podcasts and there's still lots of City articles to read as well. I'm going to start with a City fan on the on the panel this week. Jack, what do you remember about Sergio Aguero's goal against Queen's Park Rangers that day? Well, um, I was in a pub in London full of City fans with my brother and some other friends. Uh, and it was... What I remember is the time between the ball hitting the net and how time see I mean this is such a cliche but it's true in this case time seemed to slow down and the thought process of going from well the ball's in the goal and that means City are 3-2 up and you know <laughs> with 93 and 93 and a half minutes on the clock that means City are probably going to win the match now and if they win the match then they go then they go back ahead of Manchester United and given that this is the last game of the season that means that they would win the title which they haven't done for 44 years and that that thought process seemed to take about a month, squeezed into you know what in reality was a split second, and then you know all all hell broke loose in the pub. You know, k- kissing random people, beer was thrown everywhere. It was yeah, it was it was insane. Obviously, obviously, it breaks my heart that I wasn't there, and we can you know we can get into this why that was later on. But I will you know like anyone, I will never ever forget that moment of seeing that goal happen. I had a very weird kind of sense, a parallel sense of what it was like in Wembley in '99 uh, for for that that game because it, at Wembley I was 11 years old and my mum was talking to me about how she she was looking across at City two nil down and and you know needing the last minute goals and just looking at this heartbroken 11 year old like ready to burst into tears and for that Sergio Aguero goal sat next to me the kid who sits who, who had a season ticket next to me that day was about 11 years old and just looking absolutely heartbroken it was like this weird parallel with it and then obviously the 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 elation of the, of the goal um Sam this was from before you covered City so how did you react I mean this was in the days when I was a regular in the the away ends at United I wasn't at Sunderland I just think it was impossible to get a ticket um, I watched it at home and this was in the days when my mom never used to watch the games because she was too nervous at the best of times let alone in a, a title deciding day like this so I remember she was being sat at the back, bottom of the garden and I remember going up to the doors when Zeko scored and holding up you know, two fingers on one hand two fingers on the other and a bit like a grim expression to kind of this is happening kind of thing <laughs> um and then obviously i must have gone back a minute later and gone they've scored and I, I i don't remember exactly what happened after that um I, I didn't watch it for ages you know i'm completely desensitized to it now uh, i didn't watch it for ages i wasn't looking at it through any kind of journalistic prism or anything it was just the the sheer you know fandom of it but i've got to say to to kind of balance the scales a bit when i watched it on sunday and i guess why we're talking about this is because it was sky rerun the whole game on sunday um, we both watched it, and Amy said, "She said, have you got goosebumps?'" I was like, "I was like, yeah." And she was like, "Are you? She like, Are you crying?" I was like, "I was. I, had, I did have a tear in my eye." Um, and then she started laughing, and then she did a look, and I went, "You're doing it as well." And it's just, I think it's just because sport, sporting moments like that are unrivaled, and I just think the way and the the it, the way it played out, obviously, but. If you then go back into it, so if you see the whole game in its full context, because how many times have we all on this call and everybody listening seen that Aguero goal in the last 
eight years. You know, if you go to a city game, you'll see it about fifty times on different montages or whatever. It's it's on everything, and you go, oh yeah, the Aguero goal. But when you sit down and watch the ninety minutes of it, or even the last 10, 15 minutes, that's when it gets you. And sporting moments like that are probably some of the most emotional moments you can get. I remember watching. Like if anyone is interested in that, I would recommend, you know, Toronto Raptors against Philadelphia last year, Game Seven of the the playoffs when Kawhi Leonard got the buzzer beater. It just it just find the last two minutes of that game. It's exactly the same thing. Just sport does that thing to people. So yeah, eight years ago, not it wasn't it wasn't the the best moment I've ever had watching football. Um, <laughs> but just obviously now, certainly you can just appreciate it for what it was, and it, it is probably the best moment in in Premier League history for any club. Jack, when when it was two one to Queens Park Rangers, the clock is stick is ticking round to stoppage time. What what were you honestly thinking? I was thinking, how on earth have they fucked this up? How can this have happened? Like QPR at home, I was thinking it would be like a humiliation that would never be forgotten. It, it felt like the ultimate Manchester City nightmare, really, didn't it? It felt like, you know, the something which you could never have was so horrible that it was kind of almost unimaginable and yet you knew that if it happened it would have been a trauma that you know the club might never have recovered from yeah it was horrific and however horrific it was for me in that pub I imagine it was roughly a billion times worse at the stadium for you guys well, we, uh, I, 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 in a very similar vein to Sam, really, I was only just starting out in radio at that time. So I, I, I was, I had a little freelancing job where I was actually hosting a city radio show on a Sunday evening. So I, I had to go, it was the first time I was hosting it as well. I was normally on the panel. So it was, I had to go away from that game and then go and host that show. And all I could think about was Terry Christian is on the show before us. That's uh-huh. all. That's all that was going through my head because I, I just thought I'm never going to be able to look at. I, I can't look at him at the best of times, but I'm never going to be able to look him in the eye again. You know, I, I've had loads of amazing times at football matches, last minute wins and all sorts. But and it's like it. It doesn't feel like I've I've missed out on that kind of moment. But at the same time, I think it's because I know so many of you City fans, like you guys, and obviously your other mates, and I hear them talk about it so often. I do. Th- I do still wonder what was it like that day and. And going back to what you were saying then about hosting a radio show, I was just thinking, so many other people are out there having the best night of their lives. So you, yeah, you're, no. <laughs> you're doing this radio show. I just, I just wonder how. I, don't, I wonder what I would have done. You know, I, I, I think I'd know because I've done it in like comparative experiences. But it just, it just seems so big, and so with the weight of history as well, and it just, like you say, what as you just said, those feelings about this would be the ultimate city kind of failure, I suppose, and not recovering from it. Because that's what I was thinking when I was watching it. Because that was the thing that struck me the other day. For those last 10, 15 minutes, I don't City had the ball, but a goal wasn't coming, was it? Like some of the some of the passes and crosses, infuriating. Like if, if City hadn't scored that goal, there'd be some finished players. Like if I was if I was a fan of that club and they hadn't got that goal, some of the passes that people were trying and the crosses that were overhitting, the, the wasted time. I actually tweeted the other day, Nasri letting that, that throwing go out for a QPR throw, he thought it was a City throw. It was about 35 seconds before Aguero scored. And you think, that's crazy how that's worked in City's favour, that kind of sliding doors moment. I always do wonder, despite my, my own you know joys at football matches, I always do wonder when I see it, like, what what would I have done then? How would I have reacted? And and just fair play to everyone who, who did have the best night of their lives. 
just be, I mean, just speaking to fans who were like at that point, there were so many who were saying things like, you know, I, I, I wanted to leave, but I couldn't bring myself to stand up and and just walk out on the like. It had been forty four years since City had won a title, and you, you you were thinking about walking out at that point because they just messed it up so horrifically. Like it just, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I couldn't. My mother would never let let me leave a game early. There's been games where City have been four nil down, and she's she said we we stay to the final whistle. And I'm kind of like, well, let's let's just go. I I reckon if she hadn't been sat next to me, I might have got up and gone. You know, I think if I'd been at home watching it on TV, I would have turned it off. Uh, but it was only because I was in a pub with so many people that I stayed. The thing is, I it's funny hearing you talk about doing your radio show because my so the reason that I didn't buy a ticket for the game is that I. The plan was that I would go with the Independent, where where I was working at the time, and I would be our third person there. I think along with um, Sam Wallace and Herbert to do to do player ratings. So I stupidly didn't buy a ticket because I was, I was kind of quite skinned at the time, and I didn't want to spend spend money on the ticket and the train unless if I thought I could get it for free. Uh, and then a few days before the game, City said it, they were only allowing two representatives in from each paper because they were so oversubscribed. And obviously, by that point, when it came to buy, you know, when I had to buy a ticket, they'd all sold out. Um, and so I, but I, I kind of said, you know, I, was, I, I worked a lot harder there than I do now. And so I said to the independent, don't <laughs> worry, I'll, I'll still do player ratings. I'll do it off the TV. Uh, and so I was watching it in the pub and I was so like, you know, obviously I was kind of overwhelmed by the emotion of the whole day, both the bad and, and then the very good at the end. And then about like half an hour after the final whistle, when I was kind of soaked in tears and beer, I realised, in fact, I still had to do my player ratings. And so I filed what I imagine were the worst set of player write, player ratings ever filed to a national newspaper on my phone uh, from the kind of back, uh, kind of alley by this pub. To this day, I don't know if the Independent published them the next day. Just a few details that get forgotten about that day that I only kind of picked up again, like uh, over the weekend as people were... I, I didn't I, I didn't watch the game again, Sam. Um, I've never I've never actually watched it back the whole 90 minutes. So uh, I've not seen... Never seen the goal again in context as uh, as I did wow. that day. Um, but I mean, some of the details that you, that you kind of forget about was that, that City shots that day, that was the most that any team has ever had in a Premier League game. Um, Barton was sent off at 1-1 and City fell behind to, to 10 men uh, QPR hadn't won away since November that year so I mean everything was in City's favour that day and still it took the effort that it did at the end Has anyone ever asked you know Lescott or I know Richards was on the bench but people are like has anyone ever said you know why, why was it so close what were you playing at I, I don't know if that's kind of what you were getting at there but I suppose that's an interesting element of it but it's kind of like what I was saying before like that I only watched the last 10, 15 minutes of the game the other day. But yeah, you just notice all these little different things and it, it, ultimately it doesn't matter now. But you're right, it, for, for it to even be so close, but that, that's why that's why, it, that's why it's the best Premier League moment of all time, isn't it? Just because it should never have been that anyway. You know, it, it wasn't like a team parked the bus and it was nil-nil for ages and say, well, you know, like, you know, the, the company goal against Leicester, a bit like that kind of scenario where you expect them to win. It wasn't just that, it was... City are by far the best team here. QPR are not very good, and yeah, ten men and they've scored here. That, that's 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 why it's the best because it was just so so up and down. Yeah, I mean, one of my other favourite details, Jack, is Mancini shouting uh, "fu" to all of his players when that when the QPR second one goes in. Yeah, yeah, the Mancini stuff that day was incredible, and he was so. You know, he 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 has always you know worn his emotions on his sleeve. Never more so during that, and seeing him in kind of, you know, 
in full emotional meltdown, just like all the City fans was uh yeah it's i mean w- watching it back it's hilarious but again like imagine if they had imagine if city hadn't won we- would mancini have been able to survive the shame of that would he have had to quit i don't know if i was manager i'd i'd, I'd have quit after that i've just been too embarrassed it'd probably never work again would he that's the <laughs> that's the the honest truth of it i mean we, we know as well from uh city's statement about uh when they announced guardiola that they were that they were already talking to guardiola by that stage it must have been uh, when Mancini were when it looked like he was going to lose out on the title with, uh, with with eight games to go or whatever it was because um, they were they were certainly opening discussions with with Guardiola when it was obvious he was leaving Barcelona at that stage. Um, another aspect of that day that that kind of goes a little bit unmentioned is uh, there's there's so much great YouTube footage around there. There's there's City fans who have um, unknowingly captured the, the the Aguero goal after recording the game after um, Jacko had scored. Um, one of my favourites, though, Sam, is is the Sunderland fans. Not really sure whether United have won the league or, or lost the league, and then it's slowly rippling around the stadium. Sorry to to kind of bring that one up. Hmm. Well, it, yeah, it doesn't bother me now, but I do remember having a lot of rancor towards um, Sunderland fans for a lot of years, um, just in that kind of petty football way of. Well, it was kind of a petty reaction from the Sunderland fans, and obviously a petty reaction from the United fans to hold it against them. But yeah. Um, I don't remember it rippling around. I just remember them being overjoyed about it. The thing that I remember most, and again, my wife was looking out for her on Sunday, although for some reason I don't think they showed it. Maybe it was a different camera angle. It's the United players on the pitch. Um, there's two I remember. There's a bloke in the crowd. I think he's got a moustache and he's got a radio pressed to his ear. And this makes us all sound really old, but it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> he's got a radio pressed to his ear and he just turns and he goes, they've scored. And then the other one is Phil Jones's face. Because I think the word gets to the players on the pitch and Jones's face, as, you, as I'm sure you can imagine, is quite a picture. Obviously, the goal in itself was astonishing. And it would be, you know, City winning the title with the last kick of the season goal would always be amazing. But for, for it to deny the title to United, and also not just to United, but to Sir Alex Ferguson's United, when they were still not quite at the peak of their powers, because, you know, it was just, it was kind of post-Ronaldo, but still like within very recent memory of that incredible sort of 2006 to sort of 2011-ish era. It, I mean, it was just phenomenal. And that's something that I think maybe a younger fan who was coming to this now wouldn't necessarily appreciate in the same way, which was like just the massive hegemonic power of Manchester United at that point. And so to be, to be as well as, of course, the City United thing, which of course we all know about, but for, the, for, that, for City to deny Sir Alex Ferguson's United in that way, just added like extra levels of magic to the whole thing. We've talked about all the factors on the day and why it was so mad, but the whole eight eight games to go thing, you know, United United losing to Wigan. And I'll tell you what I do remember. I said right at the start, I don't remember what I did after the Aguero goal. I remember being livid after that 4-4 against Everton. But I just remember thinking, we've fucked this. Basically, like I I think I went through a walk after the game because it was just like, I just need to get away from footballing. This is this is a disaster, and you could kind of see it developing from there. And then, obviously, City beating United with the company header, and just all of those ingredients. So you've got that build-up of yeah, eight games to go. Balotelli getting sent off at Arsenal. You think it's done, and all of a sudden it's back on, and then it's off because of the QPR. Thing. Yeah, but yeah, those those eight games to go. I you know I've got mates who still relish that probably more than you know ninety three twenty has basically become a, a City trademark thing, hasn't it? But I've got a group of mates who use eight, just the number eight alone. As even more of an identifiable number, just be, just because of how I suppose it was probably the reaction in the press as well. I I, I could imagine it was it was kind of right 
let's go in on, on Mancini and, and City here after that Balotelli red card at Arsenal. That's how I remember it anyway. In terms of, uh, I know I know you're not a massive fan of VAR, Sam. Can you imagine the VAR check on that, that goal? I was thinking that. Um, I didn't, yeah, I, I, in the current climate, I'd love VAR back. <laughs> I'd love a VAR chat. It'd be fantastic. Um, no, I was thinking that, but I mean, maybe maybe because it's been about a month now, I'm forgetting how bad VAR is. But I mean, surely there was there was never there was never anything in that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe there would be that. Oh God, maybe maybe somebody handballed it on the halfway line, or maybe there was a little push or something. Because yeah, sometimes you never can tell what they're looking at. Get rid of it. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you've got the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash Y, that's W-H-Y, and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to Why Always Us, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer52 deliver a Case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene as well. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack thrown in as well. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash Y, that's W-H-Y, to get your case free. And don't forget right now, why always us listeners get two extra free beers jack i want to i want to move on and, and talk a little bit about soccer am um because you've done a big piece recently uh, uh, about the kind of nostalgia around soccer am haven't you yeah so I, we published a story on saturday morning which is uh basically an oral history of soccer am so i spoke to 13 different people from tim and helen uh fenners andy goldstein max rushton down to various producers and directors on the show just just trying to what i wanted to do was was both tell the whole story of the show from its inception in the mid 90s through its various different iterations and the coming and going of different star names as well as trying to kind of tap into what why is it so popular like because it's you know i love i grew up i love soccer am when i was a teenager i think it's an amazing show but it is much more than the sum of its parts isn't it like it has a cultural power far beyond what you would think when you just kind of describe it to someone. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of explore some of those topics and also how the show's had to change and adapt to various different circumstances. And it's, it's got a really positive reaction online, to be honest. I'm slightly surprised by how how many people have read it. Uh, but, but I think that just goes to show what a, what a very popular and influential show Soccer M's always been. Sam, were you a fan? Yeah, I, I think like anyone else, it was just it was just a normal thing to watch. I seem to remember taping it. God, now I do sound old, and this is a legitimate, <laughs> you do sound old thing. But I think I remember, yeah, ta- taping it on a VHS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I do remember that. So, yeah, I was a fan. Yeah, it was it was good. I, I remember writing in once um, and blagging a, a T-shirt by pretending, like making up some details about being in the Navy and getting them to send me a T-shirt. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, you know, all those stupid jokes they had. It was a Gucci T-shirt, but it was a picture, had a picture of Graham Gooch on it. You know, that is very much of the time isn't it how embarrassing to admit that um but no I, I enjoyed it and it's good again now like I, I i will put it on now like it it is good it is it is entertaining now i mean it did go a bit downhill for a while and for you know for reasons really well explained in, in jack's article you know just different 
creative directions and all this kind of thing. But I mean, the thing that strikes me most about the article is just how kind of influential Lovejoy was, and you know how much he ran the show, and it was all, it was all, it was such hard work, and it is one of those things where you think now, because it doesn't feel that long ago, but the way they talk about it and the way they were allowed to produce it, and you know, kind of almost like the human rights of it. You know, they, you know, on the Friday night they would all just sleep in the office for one or two hours because they'd be up so late working on it, then they'd get up and do it live, and you just think. That, surely that doesn't happen now. It's not allowed to happen now. And again, it, it does make you realise this was quite a long time ago. You know, quite a lot of things have changed. You know, there's always the, the mentions of, oh, there was no there was no social media in those days or whatever. But it was just, everything was completely different, even though it still feels so so recent to all of us. But yeah, I, I was a fan then. And to be honest, I, I'm a fan now. I've been saying for about a year or so, it's it's pretty good again. Can I can I be entirely honest with you both and say that I I never liked it I never I never oh, wow. got it I never got it. it the only bit that I ever really enjoyed was uh, the third eye stuff the weird stuff that people had seen and that was that that was kind of uh, only as I kind of got to university and YouTube became a thing and people would share the clips that that people had uploaded from it I didn't I just did not get it in the slightest. Yeah, I think it's very much a show which you either bought into or you didn't and you would have to you kind of had to buy into it fully like and that I, th- I didn't really get into this in the piece but what i think is that i think is the real power of the show is that it had so many in jokes and a shared language and it that shared language was how it developed this sense of community with both the people who worked on the show but also the viewers and so if you watched it every week you would every week there would be hundreds of shared jokes and callbacks and references and they make they develop this really rich world. And so, if you were if you viewed if you were a regular watcher, and you you felt part of this, and that was why that was why you loved it so much because it felt like you were with your mates, and you know you would take that shared language into your own life and repeat it amongst your friends. But if you if you only watch it occasionally and you didn't buy into that shared language, then you'd think like, what on earth are they on about? Like, I don't understand any of these weird like these kind of corny gags and stupid puns and everything. So I think it's it's something which. If you bought into it fully, you loved it. But if you if you didn't really like it, then it would just appear a bit ridiculous and hackneyed. The one thing that I did enjoy uh, from the piece, uh, uh, Jack, was uh, th- there's a lovely Sean Goater anecdote in there. <laughs> oh yeah, that was amazing. The, the amazing thing about that anecdote was it was so good that about five different people told it to me independently. The, the, <laughs> yeah, so for, for listeners who, if you haven't read the story yet, basically uh chris nutbeam who was in charge of booking guests i think this would have happened in i don't know 2007 8 9 ish uh he he wanted to get sean goat on the show because they would i think city had a big game on that particular saturday so he texted sean agent on his phone said look can sean come on the on the show on saturday yeah fantastic really looking forward to it uh on the friday night just before just before the show on the saturday morning calls up sean sean agent and says, hi, just double checking one for tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, all good. So just to check, what's Sean been up to recently? Oh, you know, this and that, a bit of panto. And he's thinking, bit of panto? Sean Goethe's doing panto. And it emerges to him over the course of this conversation that, in fact, he was not speaking to the agent of Sean Goethe, but the agent of Sean Williamson, Barry from EastEnders. Uh, but, and he's thinking, oh, God, like, I can't believe it. I can't believe we've got we've put Barry from EastEnders instead of Sean Goethe. But, you know... It's Friday night. They're not going to be able to get to the actual Sean Goater in time. So they got Barry from EastEnders on and then just asked him questions about his famous goal goal against United at Main Road and questions about Man City. And Sean Williamson answered them as if he were Sean Goater. 
This Athletic Podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each hand-picked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send the rest back. For your stylist's time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to save time because we do the shopping for you, and you'll enjoy top styling tips from our experts. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X.co.uk forward slash athletic right uh, well Sam uh, final topic for this week you've been writing about Kevin De Bruyne's assists uh, you've been back to watch every single one of them uh, which I mean it must have been a few hours work surely <laughs> you know what it actually wasn't because, but I think that's because when I did that piece on Man City's perfect goal you know the cutback I think I watched every Man City goal from the last four years like three or four times and that did take forever and even by the end of that I was like oh god like it was it was hard work, even though it was enjoyable at first. The De Bruyne one, yeah, comparatively, skipping through them, um, and they were great. But the good thing is, and I, I would I didn't actually put these in. I kept it to City, but on Y Scout, which is kind of the scouting platform that a lot of football clubs use, and you know journalists can use it as well if you've got the login. And fortunately, we have. Um, they they go back to his Genk days, and he put in one cross from the left with his left foot, which was exactly the same kind of trajectory across the box, you know, behind the defenders, but still away from the goalkeeper and then still in reach as a forward slide in at the back post. And I was like, that was nine years ago. And it's exactly the same. And I mean, it's, you, you look back now with hindsight and you think, God, somebody should have picked him up straight away. Never mind Ghent afterwards. And and then, you know, Chelsea and Wolves, but he should have just gone straight to the you know, word of Raymond. He should have just gone straight to the top because he was doing it even then. Um, but yeah, as far as City is concerned, um, I didn't even include really any of those right-handed crosses. You know, the one they did it two against Spurs at the start of the season. They did David Silver goal in about twenty seconds against Watford in the eight nil. Um, the Sheffield United one, um, because there's just so many other different types of assists that he does. Um, yeah, it was. It was. I didn't. I thought I might have to end up doing twenty, but I thought ten in the end was about right. And. Um, I, I have a, I, I have a little um, yeah, mini confession to make. I'm interested to, to see what you guys think. Go on. Well, I have a li- little mini confession to make that um, due to an old friend, uh, an old Belgian friend of mine, I actually watched a lot of Genk in, um, who was a, he was a Genk fan. And uh, so I watched a lot of Genk in, I'd say De Bruyne's early days there. Um, and they were all, all the fans there were raving about him. And I was just like, I just, I don't get it. I don't, I just don't see it at all. So, uh, so maybe I'm the one that's, maybe I'm the problem in all of this. Uh, didn't get soccer AM, didn't get Kevin De Bruyne. Maybe it's me. That's the, that's the issue. I remember, um, so this would have been I think about three years ago. I, back in De Bruyne's first season at City, I did a piece about him where I interviewed Hen van Hazebroek, who was his manager at Genk when he was a teenager. And this really speaks to Sam's piece and all the amazing assists that Sam highlights in his excellent story in The Athletic. And Van Hazebrook said to me that he always saw De Bruyne as the Cruyff of his generation uh, in the sense that De Bruyne shared with Cruyff that amazing ability, which was to see the whole pitch. He actually said to me, it's about Vista, the view that they have of the players. 
Some guys only see a narrow street or see a man 20 metres away. Kevin sees the guy 60, 70 metres away. Uh, and that was, of course, what, what Cruyff could do because Cruyff, again, had that, that incredible sense of what's going on around him, that spatial awareness. And when I watch these De Bruyne assists, and they are incredible, like they are completely mind-bending, it's, you, you, you realise that he, what, when, when he's playing football and running around the, he's running around the pitch at high speeds, he covers, I don't know, 14, 15 kilometres a game. He's an unbelievable athlete. And yet he plays the game as if he is viewing the football pitch from a drone, which is like 20 metres up in the or 10 metres up in the air, giving him this perfect kind of top-down chessboard view of everyone on the pitch. Like, it's completely unbelievable. It's a skill that I can't think of another footballer I've seen. Maybe maybe Messi is the only other one. Or maybe, maybe David Silva, who has that capacity to see everything on the pitch like him. It's just impossible. I cannot get my head around it. Yeah, I mean, the other side of it is a bit like... It's all, like with Mesut Ozil, it's always been... Well, he he can do these fantastic passes, and you know when he's when he's on his game, he does it. But he, you've almost got to forgive him the fact that he doesn't run around and do everything else. But De Bruyne, like you say, he does all of these things. He can carry a team, and he can run with the ball, um, and he can set the tempo of a game. But then he does all this as well. And two of the assists I put in actually were two that I'd forgotten about because they look relatively simple. But one of them is from Arsenal when there was a, the two all draw towards the end of Pep's first season. Um, just. Caballero chips the ball into midfield. I can't, I think Mustafi, I think it is, just wins the header. It bounces into the ground and bounces up at De Bruyne's feet about 20 yards inside his own half. It's up at his hip by the time he hits it. It's opened his body and side-foots it through five Arsenal players and all of a sudden Sane is in on goal. He doesn't touch it until he's 20 yards out and he just nudges it around Ospina, I think, and taps it into an empty net. The other one that's very similar is the Liverpool game, the 5 nil. Um, which was a, just a weird game than the way people remember it. But obviously, City had scored before the Mane red card. Again, Fernandinho just wins a header and it goes up in the air. De Bruyne just puts his foot on it and in a split second, Aguero gestures, play me in. And De Bruyne just sees him, turns his body, I don't know, 20 degrees to the left and just plays a straight pass through the middle. But it just takes out Liverpool completely. And again, it, this is he's in the, he's in the centre circle at this point. Aguero doesn't touch the ball until the very second it enters the box. And then, who would be in goal then? Mignolet, maybe. Mignolet's come out and, it, and Aguero's just tapped it around him and, and put it in. And it, it's just those two, just the split second ones, where you just think he, it's just it's just pure technique and everything he's got. You know, Because a, a lot of the assists he gets, although he's been doing them forever, as I've already mentioned, I think a lot of them are due to the fact that you know, Pep systems, you know, the players know exactly where they're going to be. And, you know, if you've got De Bruyne who can already pull off those passes because of his own abilities, but then you put him into a system where he he knows exactly where the other players are going to be pretty much all the time. A lot of the assists are because he's fitting perfectly into that system, but a couple of them are just completely opportunistic. So many of them are just, he's just got the ball and all of a sudden it's, oh, there's a gap there. And that's because only he can see it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter which team he's in. It doesn't matter who the manager is. It goes back to those Genk days. It's just his complete natural ability stripped back. And he's just seen a 20-yard pass, which looks so simple. He's put his foot on it. He's turned to the left and he's passed it through the middle. But it's, it's done a top team like Liverpool. Granted, not the Liverpool that they are now, but still a top team like Liverpool. And it's just that simplicity of his game. And I think that's what 
makes him and other people like Sterling, you know, you've got these raw talents, but then you put them into this well-coached team that they've got, and that's what makes them so special, and that's what makes them, and particularly him, you know, one of the best players in the world at the moment. But it's not, it's not Sam, just that ability to, to see the pass. It's then to be able to execute it. To I mean, do the, it. The, the one. Yeah. The, it's the, the execution that's as bre- well, probably more breathtaking. Yeah, I mean, the one that, all, that we always, always come back to is uh, the one against Stoke that, that yeah. was top of your list because he, he takes out about seven Stoke players with a, what, a 45, 50 yard ground pass into the box for Sane to finish. And I, all I could think about when that one went in was thank God he finished it, you know, because we remember it for that, for that extraordinary pass. Yeah, but then I suppose the other side of that is, and it goes back to what Jack was saying earlier, and I'll come back around on myself eventually, but the the ability to see the whole pitch, a lot of people were saying that one of their favourite De Bruyne assists was the one for Sterling against Arsenal at the Etihad, probably 2017, going into 2018. No, maybe it was the first game in the, the Etihad in 2016, in the first season. But anyway, it's when he was kind of facing down towards Pep's bench and he turned around and booted the ball 70 yards to the other side of the pitch to get to Sterling and then Sterling cut inside and scored which was exactly what JPB was saying about the ability to to see these to, these options that nobody else has and what you were saying about pulling them off but why I didn't put it in the top 10 is because Sterling still had quite a bit to do so it was a fantastic pass but I wouldn't class that as an assist and then to go back to what you were saying about thank goodness um, Sane finished off the one against Stoke I think pretty much every assist in my top 10 the person De Bruyne passed to and you had to just tap it into the net the hardest finish was probably Jesus at Southampton and in ordinary circumstances I wouldn't have put that Southampton assist in but because of what it meant and because of the timing of it and yeah all the the context it had to go in but for De Bruyne's standards a rudimentary ball over the top obviously very precise and not something I could do but by De Bruyne's standards he probably wouldn't have put it in the top 10 but it had to go in but the rest you basically got people either having to tap it past a goalkeeper or into an empty net and Sane you would like to think was never going to miss at that point because he was just so close and the waiting of it was perfect and as you said he took out all those players with a a fast yet slow yet curling pass along the ground like it's <laughs> it's unprecedented really. and the way I tried to explain it it was like something off lawn bowls, you know, where they set it off wide and it go. It's travelling a hell of a speed, and then all of a sudden it just gently lands exactly where it's supposed to, curls to a stop exactly where it's supposed to, and yeah, it had enough speed to get past the players close to him, enough kind of trajectory to get around them all, but then enough speed to get around the fullback who had covered Sane. It wasn't actually, I think it was Jeff Cameron. He wasn't that far from Sane, but it still evaded him but still curled back and basically not stopped dead, but really slowed down just for Sane to go, okay, cheers, just to tap it in with his left foot. And it, you're right, it's just the ability to see it and to try it and to pull it off is is phenomenal. And I, I'm not sure, I'm sure the journalists could, but I'm not sure I could put it into words. You know, it's that that is special. Jack, there is a, a very weird paradox, though, at the moment, where like a City this season have got, De Bruyne back for for you know what is the, the, one of their best players. Yet last season they missed him for most of the season, and they were they, they, it felt like a much more cohe- cohesive team. Yet De Bruyne can't be the problem, surely. Yeah, it's it, it's a, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I don't really know what the explanation is because De Bruyne is, I think De Bruyne is easily the best player in the Premier League. I think he's probably the best player in the world. I've never seen a player like him, and yet, obviously, City's—you know—some of City's very best 
performances in recent years have come while he was injured. Um, I don't think I think I think you can read too much into it. Like, there's no question that the guy is incredible. I just want to go back to a point that you made earlier about that. It's not just the vision; it's the vision and the execution. I'm trying to find. I couldn't find the quote, but Roberto Martinez, who's obviously De Bruyne's manager for Belgium, said recently that the amazing thing about De Bruyne is the unity between what he can see and what he can execute. Like, there are players that can see these passes but not execute them, and there's players who can maybe have perfect technical execution but don't have the vision. But he's never seen a player who has that much unity between vision and execution, and that is what makes him so That is what makes him so so unique, is that, you know, he'd be an amazing... Even if he couldn't control the ball and didn't have the vision, he'd still be a good box-to-box midfielder because of his energy. You know, even if he if he couldn't run, he'd still be a good number ten because of his vision and his skill. Like he's got, and even even if he couldn't, even if he didn't have football intelligence, he would be an effective player just because of his of his of his ability level. So to combine all three aspects of the game so much and to have them work together so so well makes him special. Even though I kind of feel like City, I feel like City have seen the best of De Bruyne in the sense that he's played so well so many times, but. We haven't had a season where, because of his injuries, we haven't. Maybe we haven't had a season where he's been at his top level for every single game. But I still feel like there's a lot more to come with De Bruyne. Like he's not, he's not old. He's still in his twenties. I feel like there's, uh, and I, maybe the rest that he's had means that we will continue to see more top level De Bruyne over the next few years. But yeah, he's yeah. he's a phenomenal player. Yeah. To be fair, 2017, 2018 was as close as we've seen so far to peak. De Bruyne but he just feel like he's got better since then but he hasn't been able to show as consistently because of the injuries and it feels like he was kind of coming to the boil again with that goal at Real Madrid um, and that performance you just think he, he was just kind of getting towards maybe this could be the De Bruyne season I mean maybe it still will be but who knows about any of that final quick word on his character as well because he seems like he's got the right temperament for a, for a footballer Jack he seems he seems to get wound up by things but then manage to keep a lid on it at the right times does that make sense yeah, I think he's an interesting mix of like he's very demanding and he's a perfectionist, and he's very hard on his teammates on the pitch. Like I heard a story, I think it was in his first season or so. Uh, he just shown up, and he bollocked. I think it was Yaya Toure for not working hard enough in training or messing up in training or something like that. Which you know wouldn't have been an easy thing to do in 2015 when Yaya Toure was like the dominant midfielder in the Premier League. Um, and you can so he's got a real like winning mentality but I also feel like if you talk to him he's quite like he's quite dry he's very he's obviously very very smart he's not a big uh he's not a massive talker but when he talks he tells you what he thinks um so yeah I think he's a good because I don't think City is necessarily a team with an awful lot of personality on the pitch being honest like City you know I don't particularly since company's gone I don't feel like City have a lot of leaders and talkers but I do feel like De Bruyne is definitely the best captain that City have got and you can tell that just sometimes you watch De Bruyne play and you think you are determined to win this game like you are not going to accept City not winning this match like they're particularly big games in the Premier League in the title run-ins title run against Liverpool during that game at Palace where City won I think it was in April it's about a year ago after having lost to Tottenham in the Champions League where De Bruyne was phenomenal and he's one of one of the assists made it into Sam's list. But you could just watch De Bruyne that day, because obviously he'd sat out the Champions League game against Spurs. Watching De Bruyne that day, I was just overwhelmed by the sense of De Bruyne will not will not accept City not winning this game. And I think that's a really, really valuable 
trait to have in a player. Even to be honest, the Spurs Champions League second leg, I thought he, he looked like he was he was really on it as well. Even though of course City messed it up in the end. So yeah, but, but yeah, absolutely the right sort of personality you want as a captain and leader in the team. Yeah, Sam, he, he seemed quite laid back about the uh, the penalty issue when you asked him. He's, and he just said, well, if he wants me to kick it, I'll kick it. Uh, but then everyone also remembers the kind of let me talk angry De Bruyne. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's like anyone really. And I mean, a bit a bit off, off on a tangent here, but I think Jurgen Klopp's a great example. Well, generally Jurgen Klopp, great bloke, nice, nice person. But Christ, when he loses, he's awful. And it's just that heat of the moment thing, isn't it? Like, And De Bruyne is not the same, but... He will be transformed into that kind of let me talk animal occasionally, but generally he's just so laid back. And I mean, he did an Instagram live last week, and he just—I love him. I think he's great. He just comes across he's just a normal bloke, just a normal nice guy. Um, but yeah, he's obviously got that incredible winning spirit and determination that that Jack was talking about so well. And but normally, you know, you think of kind of like. Again, I was talking about Ozil, and you kind of make excuses for, oh, okay, well, he does this, so he doesn't have to do that. In terms of that kind of winning mentality, if you go to the other extreme of like a Roy Keane, he's almost like so demanding and determined that he's, you know, not, it's not, he's, he's a great captain and a great footballer, but not great to be around necessarily, or not, not necessarily a healthy way to live. But you just feel like De Bruyne's got a perfect balance where he's got all of that. And sometimes it, I think rarely it, it bubbles over. But generally, he's just yeah, very a very nice guy, very switched on guy, a good person to speak to, um, one of the better speakers in football, I think. And also, he just doesn't entertain any kind of stupid questions whatsoever. I mean, we're going back to those Spurs games last year. Obviously, the first game was that the first the first ever game at Spurs' new stadium. And you know the the angle when journalists were speaking to him before that was, oh, you know, what do you think about this new stadium? Is it going to make any difference? He was like, I don't care. Like, everyone's got a stadium. It's got four. It's got four stands and grass, and it was that kind of stuff. He just won't have it, and I really admire that. But the, the other thing about him, his on-pitch demeanor is, it's almost like he's been programmed so much by Guardiola. Because you know the thing about everyone says about Guardiola is he tells you what's going to happen on the pitch, and then it happens, and all the players are like, "Wow, this is incredible." It's it's almost like he's bought into that so much, and also he knows himself that he's so precise and he can put the ball wherever. It's almost like if he has a shot that he's curling to the bottom corner and it goes just wide. He almost looks as he looks over to Pep straight away, as if to say, "What bullshit is this? You know what what is going on in the universe that our plans have not worked?" And I don't think he rests until those plans do work, because it's just that combination of precision from both of them and the perfection from both of them. It's just like if something doesn't work and it and, it, and they feel it should, he's he's just like he's just on the complete same page as Guardiola, and he just he just I'm sure he just instinctively looks at him to say, well, I don't know why that is. I don't like this. This isn't my fault. Something something's gone wrong here. Like one of the calculations must be off. Like it's not when you go into space and you know if you do it in millimeters instead of inches, it's catastrophic failure. It's it's like that. It's like if something's just slightly off, he just can't process it, and then he won't rest until it's right and he, he has scored or he has pulled off the assist. Before we finish, uh, Jack, I, I, we do have to say as well. There's been some sad news this week uh, with Pep and uh, and his mom. Yeah, I think everybody associated with Manchester City was, and in all of football, was deeply, deeply saddened to see the news that Pep Guardiola's mother has passed away from coronavirus at the age of 82 in Barcelona. I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't even know she was ill, but City published the news on Monday afternoon, and I think everybody in football realises how, what a painful time this is for everyone. Yeah, I, I don't have well anything anything more to add. Obviously, very sad news, as as it is. Um 
the whole situation at the moment. But this just kind of you know brings it home really that you know the, the, this this is an ongoing situation and you know it it doesn't discriminate and for whatever reason it it always seems a bit a bit more closer to home when it's when it's somebody you know you you look up to or you enjoy the work of or even you know in this case somebody's somebody's relative so yeah very sad and obviously i'm sure everybody is you know thinking of thinking of um, guardiola and the family and of, of course the families of anybody affected by this 